welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Today's episode of the Human Technology Podcast will not be one of those futuresque, uh, vision-rich, uh, trend-enhanced uh, episodes, but it will be a bit more on rules, regulations, on all the basic things that you need to consider if you want to design a good, a safe and a legal HMI solution. So um, in, in, in my offers, when, when I write an offer to one of my clients and there is an HMI development involved, I usually write um, that I use the term um, according to good rules of usability or according to the existing rules of good user experience. So um, I'm using some of these terms and The question is, what is it? What, what are good rules of usability, good rules of user experience? And I will take today's uh, episode to analyze two larger sets uh, of rules. One is the ISO 9241, part 110, and the other one are the automotive HMI rules according to Resker or according to Dr. Peter. So let's start with a little more background. There, there is a hierarchy of rules out there if it is about designing technology, if it is about de designing HMI solutions. And the highest level are laws and regulations. That is all the legal stuff that is out there um, that can be considered as that must be. And surprisingly, there are not too many specific uh, laws about this one out there, but there is a but of this, and, and I will come to this later uh, in this introductionary part. But um, the, the rules say, okay, you have to design it like this, you have to design it like this, the direct laws and regulations. That is a comparably low number of, of um, legal corpus that we have out there. The second level... Uh, that are ISO standards, um, other standards that are out there, industry standards. Then um, there is the Alliance of Automotive Manufacturers. And they have their own set of rules, just like the NHTSA, the National Highway and Transportation uh, Safety Association, a part of the DOT, the Department of Transportation of the United States. They have own rules, particularly if it is about in-vehicle HMI solutions. And 
these rules, all these standards, the ISO standards, the AMs, the NITSAs, uh, they are not laws. So it, it's more like it should be like this. But, and this is the big but here, they may take the level of a law, they may become like a law if they are cited in a law and a regulation. So maybe there is a law saying you have to design this and this according to that and that ISO standard. Then this ISO standard becomes like a law. It's, it turns its character from uh, a, it should be like this to it, it must be like this. And beyond those standards, there are others um, that you need for homologation of cars, for um, the allowance to bring devices uh, to the market, for example, medical devices. There is a large set of rules on the HMI of medical devices uh, by American authorities. Other authorities have pretty much the same. So it's about, for example, the use of colors and the use of graphical elements on, on the screens. Or if it's about aircraft cockpits or train cockpits, there are specific rules out there that are more or less on the same level as ISO standards or other standards, but may become uh, legal relevant laws and regulations because they are lifted up to that level. The third level of regulation is uh, results of research work. They are very often the basis for ISO standards, standards, AM rules, NHTSA. So you have this, this um, let's say, upward compatibility um, that, that you can use regulations or standards or rules from lower levels and lift them to, to higher levels. And this is exactly what's happening with the research rules. There is a huge corpus of research work out there on how to design a human-machine interface, on how to design the relationship between humans and technology, on how to design an in-vehicle HMI solution. Beyond that, there are expert rules um, like the heuristics of Nielsen, very often used, uh, golden rules. There are checklists out there, for example, the, the TRL, the Transport Research Laboratory in, in uh, UK. They have a huge checklist with hundreds of, uh, of items um, that you can run through and check it out. And then there is uh, the best industry practice. So all these rules is on the level that, that that's how you should do it. Uh, that's, that's how you can do it. That, that's on that level. And... Um, yeah, there's a lot of that there, and many of them, many of these rules are domain specific. For there may be a questionnaire or a checklist that is for automotive HMIs only, and then there are others for aircraft HMIs, and then there are others for all kinds of HMI, like the heuristics of Nielsen, that you can use them in almost any context. So there's a large variety out there. And then on the lowest level, there are company rules, company style guides, corporate style guides, corporate guides. That's on the level, that's how we do it. There may be a corporate font, a corporate set of colors in there. And uh, so that, that is basically the lowest levels in these hierarchy of rules. So we have the laws and regulations on the highest level, then the ISO standards, other standards, AAM, NHTSA rules, regulations um, that may turn into legals by um, lifting them up to the higher level. 
Then we have the research results, the expert routes, the golden rules, and on the lowest level, the internal company routes, star guides, and corporate guidelines that we have there. And um, as I already said, um, I would like to focus on two set of routes um, that have um, proven to be reliable, valid, useful um, in, in designing automotive uh, HMIs and any other kind of HMI, of course, as well. But uh, as you know, I have this uh, strong automotive focus. So um, I'm watching all this. I'm discussing all this from uh, the point of view of um, automotive HMI development. And the first one is the ISO 9241. And in particular, uh, part 110. And in that, in particular, the seven rules of um, the seven universal interaction principles that we have there. And very often, I mean, the, the ISO um, 9241 is a huge standard. I will talk about this in a minute. But it very often is reduced to part 110, and part 110 is far larger than just these seven rules that we have there. But at the end of the day, um, we are having um, a focus on that one. And I'm, do I'm doing exactly this as well, by the way, just talking about the interaction principles that we have there. But um, it is far larger. And the second uh, set of routes is the automotive HMI routes, according to Dr. Peter or to Resker. I am in this uh, development of automotive HMIs and the relationship between humans and uh, drivers and, and, and uh, cars since 35 years. And over the time, I developed and honed a set of routes that uh, are very useful in, in this context and um, I'm using them in almost any project where I develop an HMI solution for a client just to make sure it works and it's good and yeah, it, it stood the test of uh, the proof of reality the test of time and this is why I'm discussing that alright let, let's start with the ISO 9241 this is an international standard that regulates the relationship between humans and computers. The official name is Ergonomics of Human Machine System Interaction, of the Ergonomics of Human System Interaction. It changed a bit um, a year and a half ago. There was an, an update. Uh, it was in early 2020 when it came out. But um, yeah, it, it, it is basically about humans and computers. Um, it's so generic that you, can, you can, that you can use it in humans and technology and also in humans and vehicles. Uh, it was originally developed for computer workstations and particularly the early versions reflect the, the distrust in computing technology um, that was uh, existent in the 1970s and 1980s. So there was the idea, our oh, computer um, are harming us, and they are a threat to humans, they are a threat to human workspaces, um, they, they will change our working life in a negative way, and we have to do something against it. And th this was the original idea behind ISO 9241, and 
I mean, some of that became reality, reality and some, some not. And, uh, but uh, I, 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 the character has changed over the time of the, of, the, of, the, of the standard. But in some parts, you can still see it, that there is a certain distrust in technology and, and we have to protect humans. And this is why we introduced the standard. Anyway, um, the original um, ISO standard had 17 parts uh, that grew over time. Today it is uh, more than 40, almost 50 parts, and there are 8 or 10 more under development at the moment, so it is growing constantly. And I mean, I'm not an expert in ISO standards, but I'm, I'm not aware of any other standard that has so many parts and uh, that is so big and so thick. Um, there may be others, um, I may be proven wrong for this one, but the ones I'm aware of are clearly thinner and, and clearly uh, more focused, but this one, the ISO 9241, is a big one. It is not, as I said, specific to vehicles, but it's universal and it can be used anywhere, including cars. And... Everyone, including me in this podcast episode, is focusing on part 110, uh, which is the interaction principles. And these seven universal interaction principles um, are the following ones. I will run through them. There was a slight change about a year and a half ago uh, with the latest version and uh, there, there was a change in naming, but also there is a new Interaction principle number seven. Uh, two others were were merged, and there was also some some kind of um, yeah, um, let's say uh, different focus in some of them. Renaming different focus, but um, so so if you if you have an older version, um, that there may be different wordings and. Don't use this anymore. The the latest version is from early twenty twenty. And uh, don't use the old one, uh, the new one. There are a couple of changes in there that uh, are serious and that you should take into account if you work with the standard. Okay, Let, let's run through the, through the seven um, interaction principles. The first is um, appropriateness for the task. Question is, does a technology have the appropriate functionality? And uh, one, one, one example... Um, if you want to, to write a letter, um, Excel is not the right software to do this. There is Word, and Word is the right uh, um, program, the right app to, to write a, a letter. Little footnote, I know a person, and, and she wrote her letters in Excel because she always had uh, calculations in there, and um, that's why she used Excel. But it is definitely not the appropriate software to write a letter. So that, that, is, that is Word. Just like Word is not the appropriate letter to create a set of, of presentation slides, that then is PowerPoint. Or to use another example, if you want to drive in a city from A to B, a car is the right, right, right technology, not an aircraft. An aircraft can roll, but it will be pretty difficult to drive or uh, to roll with this one in, 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 in a city area. So, first question is, is the technology appropriate to solve the task that I want that I want to solve with it? Second one is self-descriptiveness. And 
The ISO standard refers to help and feedback functions. I see this a little broader. So it, a technology shall talk to the user, shall describe itself in the context of the use. By, for example, using, using the right wordings. So, okay, um, if you want to enter a destination into your navigation system, maybe a destination button is the right one. Um, so it is describing itself. Here, this is a destination button. You can enter a destination into this one. Same goes for radio and phone and, and anything else that you may have there. Um, so this, and, and, and also just like design elements. So if you have a touchscreen system and uh, I, I'm, I'm running crazy with some of these, these modern apps, you just don't know what are buttons I can press and what is just information that is there. And very often, um, it's very hard for me to use an app because in, in, in a button uh, looks like an, an entry or like, like a headline. And so this HMI then is not self-descriptive. It's not describing itself in a way that a user can get into it. Third one, conformity to user expectations, expectation conformity. We all have our experiences with technology and we all have our educational backgrounds. We all have a certain age. We all have an expectation when we approach a system. And this shall be reflected into the system. And when, when I start working with a client on an HMI development, uh, one of the very first questions is, who is using that? Do you know anything about your user? Do you have personas? Who's your user group? And then I can un understand what are the expectations of the user? What, what do they bring? What kind of experience do they bring? And how can I get this um, HMI adapted to the mental model of the user. And the better the fit is between the HMI itself and the mental model of the user, the more it fits to the expectation to the user and the easier it is to use. Fourth point is learnability. So if um, an HMI may not be really self-descriptive and it may not be um, fitting to my expectations. But if it is easy to learn, if the learnability is good, then I can still work with it. I can work myself into it. The time uh, for learning and the effort for learning an HMI is small. And then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's easy to get into it and I can learn it. This includes user guidance. This includes the appropriate metaphors that are used. But um, basically, it is yeah the idea of making it easy to learn. Point number five is controllability. The this is what I call the the user needs to be in the driver's seat of the interaction. Very often, you have situations um, if you watch people uh, working with a new technology, it's just like oh, what is it doing? What what does it do? Well, I haven't done this. I, I didn't mean it. Um, then that is a, sheer, a serious indicator of low control, controllability. If the users have a feeling, I cannot control it, they are totally lost. And the user needs to control the dialogue between human and technology. And this, this can be done with self-descriptiveness, with conformance uh, of, of user expectations, with learnability. 
but also um, that the the technology is not doing things by itself, but that, that I always have to press a button to start something. Not that I'm sitting there and suddenly this stupid device is doing something. Um, this this shall be avoided, and um, yeah, this this control controllability. Then a robustness to user error, error robustness, um, error tolerance. The system tolerates an error, and I mean we are all humans, and it's uh, we are all making mistakes. We are all making errors, and this is beautiful. This is good. This is positive, and this will always differentiate humans from from technology. Um, technology doesn't make any errors. And even even artificial intelligence is not making any errors, but um, we are making errors as humans. And the system shall be robust to this. So, for example, the typical question: If you want to delete a file, do you really want to delete this file? You can say, "Oh no, I didn't want to delete it. I just want to move it." Or, um, yeah, you jump into a submenu and you find out, "Hey, uh, I'm wrong here." And one measure to create robustness to error to create to create error tolerance is a back button and with any hmis uh, that i'm designing I'm, i'm highly recommending to use a clear and consistent error uh, back concept and to have a back button at always the same point in the uh, always the same location in the in the in the hmi Wherever I am, there's always in the upper left, in the in the lower left, in the upper right, wherever. But it's always at the same location. There's a back button, and it always behaves behaves in in the same same manner. Okay, and number seven of the uh, universal interaction principles of the ISO ninety two forty one is user engagement. That's the new one that they introduced. That goes into user experience direction. So the system is welcoming. It's motivating. I like to work with it. Uh, it has a design language and colors that I like. Uh, it is as a style that, that I like. Um, it is leading me. Um, maybe it goes even beyond the system itself. It has a cool brand and uh, has a cool image. And I mean, all this is included under user engagement. Um, which I see as, as highly overlapping with user experience. So those are the seven interaction principles in ISO 9241, part 110, takes appropriateness for the tasks, self-descriptiveness, uh, conformity with user expectations, learnability, controllability, error tolerance, and user engagement. So let's move on to the HMI rules according to Dr. Peter or to Rusker, the ones that I have created. And we have six here and two of them have two subcategories. So it's an overall of eight, but basically six um, that, that we are having here. And the first one, and I mean, I created them for, for automotive projects and, and you can use them, probably use them. I've never used them in a non-automotive context, but... You can use them in, uh, in, in, in the other context. Um, and they overlap a bit with the 9241 uh, interaction principles, but they have a different focus and they have more of an uh, yeah, automotive and, and application focus. And the first one is balance. And we have internal balance and we have external balance. 
internal balance um, refers to the internal structure, the internal balance of a of an HMI. We have in an HMI three basic parts. One is the input part, basically how do I transfer information from the human into the technology? It's touchscreens, that might be voice recognition, um, that might be gesture recognition, paddles, buttons, switches, all of that. That, that is used to transfer information from the user into the system. Second part is the other way around. That is the information transfer from the system to the user. That is about screens, that is about lights, that is about sounds, buzzers, voice outputs, whatever. So that, that is the information transfer from, from the system, from the technology to the user. And the third part is the internal structure. The Alan Cooper calls it the interaction design. The menu trees, uh, the processes, the namings, the wording uh, of, of things, all that is part of the interaction design or the, the internal structures that we have there. The three of them need to be balanced very well to get a positive usability, a positive user experience of the entire HMI, of the entire technology of the system. One, one example from, from the old times at, at Harman, um, we developed a navigation system for one of the big uh, American car makers. And they came to us and said, it was a touchscreen system. And they came to us and said, hey, uh, we have these huge pickup trucks and um, smaller users are not able to reach the screen. So can we get a version with a rotary push, push device with a central controller? And we just want to replace the touchscreen with this central controller. And the problem was that the entire design, the graphic design of, um, the, of the design of the buttons and the screens, but also the structure was totally optimized for a touchscreen use. And just replacing the touchscreen with a central controller, then expecting everything works well, that is not possible. That destroys the internal balance and um, that is... Well, it just doesn't work. And we were able to convince the OEM that they need at least an adaption of screen design and internal structures if they want to have a new input device. So that's the internal balance. The external balance is balancing an HMI with the users, the user group, the contexts of use. Where is it used? How is it used? What are people doing with this car or with this HMI or with this technology? Um, I'm having a project at the moment with a vehicle startup and uh, they are building a delivery truck, a small inner city um, urban area delivery truck. And the first question, my first question was, what are the use cases? What, what, what are people doing and, and what kind of users do you have? And um, I mean, it's obvious that if you have a sports car, you have different use cases than uh, a delivery truck and the user group will be totally different. And so you will need to balance your HMI solution with the user group. And this also includes all the intercultural, the cross-cultural aspects of, uh, of an HMI. Does the car go to um, the Arabic world, to, to the Middle East? Does it go to the Far East? Will we have um, maybe a user group um, with... with uh, 
BD fonts, uh, like in Hebrew and in Arabic. So all these things um, need to be balanced in an HMI, and that's the external balance. Second point is the consistency. And again, there is an internal consistency and an external consistency. Internal consistency means that the system is similar to itself. So if something works in a certain way in one application, it shall work in all other applications and all other submenus in exactly the same way. Another project that I'm having at the moment, the, the, where the, the client started developing HMI, and they, they did this for, for each and every single application, for radio, for media, for phone, for navigation, uh, in a different way. And it was nice for each and every application. It was working within an application. But if you put this into one system, if you combine all these single HMIs into one, you will drive your user crazy if it works in a different way in every submenu. And so consistency, internal consistency, the system being similar to itself is core. From my experience, is one of the core points if you want to create good usability and a positive user experience. External consistency means that your HMI, your technology, your interaction is according to experiences users have with other systems, with other devices in the analog world. One of the, the best examples here is the trash can that you have on your desktop. It works exactly like the trash can that you have under your desk. So you can throw something into it and then it is gone from your desk and it is away. But if you find out, oops, I still need that piece of paper, you can go into the, you can, you can grab it back from, 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 uh, from a trash can and use it again. And it's exactly the way how this uh, paper basket works on the, on the desktop. You can put things into it and until you do not delete it. If you do not delete this, it remains there, but it's gone, basically. And, and it's not finally gone. You can, you can get it back. Only if you empty the, the, the trash can, then it is gone. Same in analog world and in the digital world. That's external consistency. Then next point is usefulness. And again, um, this is one of my major points. This is one of my major messages. Technology needs to have a value. It needs to make life of humans better. Better by means of faster, more focused, uh, more organized, safer, maybe even just funnier, but it needs to have a value. And very often when I talk to, to clients or potential clients about their technology and what they plan to do and I say, hey, what is the value behind this? How, how does this make the life of a human better? In whatever way. And very often I'm, I'm looking to empty faces. People just don't know this. And so for me, creating value with technology is the one thing, if, if there should be one thing that makes me getting up every morning, it is putting value in technology, making human lives better with technology. Next point, simplicity. And uh, there is this KISS principle. Right? Make it, make it, uh, keep it straight and stupid or keep it straight and simple. 
And uh, the boss of my boss at Harmon always says, hey, Peter, you, you have the easiest job of, of all of us. Just make it simple. The problem is there is nothing as complex in the design of an HMI than simplicity, than making it simple. Just uh, one example. T take, take a watch, um, uh, one of these traditional Swiss mechanical watches. And if you look at it from the front, um, you may have three needles on it, and it's very easy to read and say, okay, it is 11.30, and yeah, it's easy to read the time. So very simple. If you turn it around and open it, you will find out it's awfully complex. It's unbelievable. All the mechanical parts you have in there, everything working with each other. And I mean, that is not at all anyhow simple. So it is a typical user experience, user interface, HMI design guy a, a statement saying it depends. So simplicity very much depends on the task that you have, on the way you work with the technology, on your experience, on the, the, the way you interact with, with a certain device. So simplicity is given if the user has the feeling that he or she has control over the, over the, over the device, over the interaction. So giving the feeling of control creates simplicity. Next point, personalization, customization, individualization. We are all different. And this is a wonderful thing that all humans are different and we have different ideas, different backgrounds, different tasks. We have different experiences and we're all different. And we all love a personalized technology. That an HMI is the way we want to have it. And it starts, for example, with the, with the apps you have on your smartphone. Um, you, you can download them if you need them. You can delete them if you do not need them. You can arrange them in a way you want to have them. And you have all the color settings. And um, it's all yours. You can have your background images and all these things. And this is, from my point of view, just uh, the very top and just the very surface of what is possible in, in personalization of how far we can get if technology really understands us as humans, as humans and adapts to our needs, to our use cases, to our abilities, to our ideas, to our dreams and wishes. And that, that is personalization. And so make it personalized. That's, that's, that's one message. And the last point is uh, the emotion, emotionalization of technology. Put emotions into it. And uh, this this one company from Silicon Valley with the Apple in the, in the logo, they're excellent in creating emotions. Even if the technology may not be that good, and I mean, there are indicators that all these systems are not as good as, as most of the users believe, but they create an almost religious emotion in their users, and people want to have this. And this is also part of an, of an HMI design Think about your user group. What are their dreams? What are their wishes? What are their, what are, what is their life like? And how can we improve that by picking them up where they are and giving them emotions with technology? All right, those were the use according to Dr. Peter, according to Resker. Balance, consistency, usefulness, simplicity, personalization, and emotionalization. Those are the ones that. Uh, 
uh, I have defined as a set of rules. And as I said, I'm, I'm applying them in, in my daily life and my HMI development projects um, that I have every now and then. And so, yeah, that's, that is, that is um, the core. There are other rules out there on all the levels that I mentioned and uh, that are all important for the design of automotive HMIs. Just to mention one, it's ISO 15008 um, that describes all the fonts, font sizes, contrasts and colors. But um, with the two sets of rules that I have presented here, you will get pretty far and um, yeah, you will be able to create great HMI solutions. To summarize this episode, there are three levels on the way to make an easy-to-use, fun-to-use, emotionalized, uh, highly experienced uh, HMI uh, solution. First one is use the rules such as the ones I have described here. Second is um, call an expert, call me, because there are conflicting rules. Um, there are unique priorities in rules. There are specific use cases and, and application areas. So call me if you have a problem on this one. And the last one is use common sense. So if you like the podcast, do me the favor and recommend it in your network. The more people I reach, the more people get the chance to get into my way of thinking and to, to get my ideas. And yeah, and uh, the other thing is that on, on the respective platforms, the podcast will be ranked higher uh, if more people listen to it, which again will bring me a larger audience, uh, will give them a chance to learn from me. And yeah, so recommend it in your network. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.